Welcome to Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, owner of TudorsDynasty.com, and welcome to Queen Elizabeth Month on the show. Elizabeth Tudor has always been on the back burner for me. While I love the fact that she is the daughter of King Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, I have never been as interested in her reign as I have been in her father's. My views on Queen Elizabeth of England often make me an outcast in my own community. My belief is that the adult Elizabeth, the Queen of England, was not a very nice person. She shared a lot of the same qualities as her father. Now, before you start sending me hate messages, please let me explain why I believe she wasn't a very nice person. Like her father, Elizabeth imprisoned those who had a connection to the throne for marrying without permission. That's understandable. What I do not understand is how a woman who chose not to marry would hold it against those closest to her. I plan to write an article about the topic, so I can't go too much into detail, but there is a reason why so many close to her married secretly. They knew that the queen would never approve their marriage to anyone. Let's just take Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, and Lettuce Knowles as an example. Lester understood that as the favorite of the queen, that she expected to have him all to herself. Elizabeth had made it clear that she could not marry him, and he knew that she would never approve a marriage, let alone to her cousin. Fortunately for Lester, the queen eventually forgave him, but Lettuce was not so lucky. Elizabeth never forgave her for falling in love with her Robin, her eyes, as she called him. Another one that comes to mind is Elizabeth, or Bess, Throckmorton, and Sir Walter Raleigh. Raleigh had also become a favorite of the queen. They married in secret and both were punished. So with all that being said, I was curious, why do you love Queen Elizabeth I? I posed this question on Facebook to help me understand. And to be honest with you, the answers were exactly as I had suspected. Here are a few. Mary Harrigan said the labels, the loss of her mother, the rejection by her sister, etc. She remained strong, faithful, determined, courageous, and bold, still believing in herself while committing herself to serve others. Kim said she was intelligent and strong-willed and needed no man to rule in a time when women were considered nothing more than property. Like her mother before her, I greatly admire her courage and spirit. Jessica Foreman said, because during all the turmoil and hatred she saw and grew up in, she persevered and overcame such adversity. Leslie Downler said, she was a queen in her own right. She was strong and unapologetic. Those examples are only a few of the hundreds that came through when the question was initially posed. The one thing in common with most of them is that Elizabeth was a woman who needed no man to rule. Now, don't hate me for saying this, but I feel like it's merely a women's lib thing. Was she really that great? That is the question that I will be exploring in my subsequent podcasts. I hope in my journey to discover Elizabeth that, in the end, I feel the same as you do about her. Another question I posed on Facebook was, which actress do you think played Elizabeth the best? The choices that were given were Kate Blanchett, Anne-Marie Duff, Anita Dobson, Vanessa Redgrave, Judy Dench, Flora Robson, Jolie Richardson, 
Betty Davis, Glenda Jackson, and Helen Mirren. Okay, so the votes are in after a few days of voting has gone by. It was pretty easy to tally these. In first place was Kate Blanchett, who is also my favorite Elizabeth. I think she just embodied who Elizabeth was. Number two was Glenda Jackson, another fan favorite. Number three was Anne-Marie Duff. Number four, Judy Dench. Number five, Helen Mirren. And then after the rest had a few votes here and there, and there were also um, a few write-in votes for Rachel Scarston on Rain, Lily Cole, and Quentin Crisp. You are all very passionate about your vote, and I love it. Now, let's talk a bit about my podcasts. If you are new to my podcast and found me on iTunes, you are missing out on a bunch of podcasts that came before I integrated with iTunes. If you're interested in hearing all of them, you can go to patreon.com slash tutors dynasty and then click on posts. I also have a link to them on tutorsdynasty.com in the menu. Just click on podcasts. Speaking of Patreon, I need to take a moment to thank my patrons. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to continue with these podcasts. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been two weeks since my last podcast, and I have three new patrons, Ramey, Rachel, and Angela. Thank you so much for supporting what I do. And a special thank you to Katie F., who was already a patron. She upped her monthly donation this month. Thank you, Katie. I am truly flattered by your generosity. If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, and click Become a Patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can show your support. Thank you to Jessica, Kim, Rachel, Lynn, Lacey, Diane, James, Anne, Azaria, Alithia, Lisa, Nora, Maria, Katie, Stacy, Wendy, Cynthia, Nicole, Mary, Cheryl, Carrie, Heather, who's the owner of Renaissance English History Podcast. Be sure to check that out. Tanya, Catherine, Ramey, Jen, Melissa, and Angela. Thank you so much to all of you for your continued support of the podcast. Now let's get on with the show. Sit back, relax, close your eyes, and prepare to be transported back in time to the life of Elizabeth Tudor, Queen of England. Crowds gathered on the morning of the 17th of November, 1558, around London to hear the news. Queen Mary was dead. Elizabeth is now queen. Elizabeth Tudor, the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, wasn't the prince the couple had expected, but she did have her father's red hair and her mother's features. Henry was not angry with his wife. Instead, he comforted her by saying, You and I are both young, and by God's grace, boys will follow. Henry announced their daughter would be named Elizabeth. It's possible she was named after both of her grandmothers. Alison Ware states in The Six Wives of Henry VIII, that Anne Boleyn quickly bonded with her child and hated to let Elizabeth from her sights. This differs from those who believed Anne had a very little bond with her daughter. Anne actually wished to breastfeed her baby, but the thought was quickly dismissed when Henry VIII discovered it. He informed her that that was the job of a wet nurse and not a queen. At three months old, Princess Elizabeth was assigned to her own household at Hatfield House. 
Lady Margaret Bryan was assigned as her governess. On the 23rd of March, 1534, Parliament passed the Act of Succession. This act ensured the children of Henry and Anne would inherit the throne upon his death. It's also around this time that the Queen went for a visit to Elizabeth and, while there, extended an olive branch of sorts to Mary. As we know, Mary declined. Born as a princess, Elizabeth Tudor's fortunes changed overnight when her mother Anne Boleyn fell from favor. The day after her mother's execution, King Henry ordered Elizabeth be moved from Greenwich back to Hatfield. That way, he'd not have to see her. I can imagine that Elizabeth reminded him of Anne, the woman he supposedly believed betrayed him with many men. Soon after his marriage to Jane Seymour, Henry changed the act of succession. This time, only his children by Queen Jane would be eligible to succeed the throne of England. Now Elizabeth, like her older sister Mary, was declared illegitimate. Young Elizabeth had been quoted as saying, Why, Governor, how hath it yesterday Lady Princess and today but Lady Elizabeth? She was very intelligent, even at three, to understand her life had changed, but no one knows for certain when she was told of her mother's death. Elizabeth would certainly have attachment issues from all those around her that left or died. The same would go for the departure of Lady Margaret Bryan as her governess. With the birth of Prince Edward, her duty was with the future heir, not with the bastard daughter of the king. At eight years old, around the same time that Catherine Howard, her stepmother, was executed, Elizabeth allegedly told her friend Robert Dudley that she would never marry. That statement supposedly came directly from Dudley himself later on in life. Whether it was propaganda or the truth, we will never know. In 1543, King Henry VIII married Catherine Parr. The marriage wasn't a love match for Catherine, but she found a way to be an amazing stepmother to all three of the king's children, Mary, Elizabeth, and Edward. Catherine Parr was the only stepmother to truly fill a motherly void in Elizabeth's life. It was Catherine who took an active role in Elizabeth's education. She found the best tutors, men like Roger Ascham and William Grindall. Both men were reformist and shared the views of the queen. Young Elizabeth's tutors often complimented her intelligence. They would comment on her remarkable memory. Elizabeth was also taught what was the standard for royal women, needlework, music, and dancing. She practiced daily and was, of course, successful in all areas. She was a marvelous lute and virginal player, as well as a singer and music writer. But Elizabeth's true love was dancing. Elizabeth was also an excellent horsewoman and enjoyed the hunt. When King Henry VIII died in January 1547, she was taken in by the Dowager Queen. It was while at Chelsea that Elizabeth came into contact with Thomas Seymour, her brother's uncle and a man who had only recently proposed to her by letter after the death of her father. Here's her response to his proposal, written on the 27th of February, 1547, when she was 13 years old. My Lord Admiral, the letter you have written to me is the most obliging and at the same time the most eloquent in the world. And as I do not feel myself competent to reply to so many courteous expressions, I shall content myself with unfolding to you in a few words my real sentiments. I confess to you that your letter, all elegant as it is, has very much surprised me. 
For besides that, neither my age nor my inclination allows me to think of marriage. I never could have believed that anyone would have spoken to me of nuptials at a time when I ought to think of nothing but sorrow for the death of my father. And to him, I owe so much that I must have two years at least to mourn for his loss. And how can I make up my mind to become a wife before I shall have enjoyed for some years my virgin state and arrived at years of discretion? Permit me, then, my Lord Admiral, to tell you frankly that, as there is no one in the world who esteems your merit more than myself or who sees you with more pleasure as a disinterested person, so would I preserve to myself the privilege of recognizing you as such without entering into that strict bond of matrimony, which often causes one to forget the possessions of true merit. Let your highness be well persuaded that, though I decline the happiness of becoming your wife, I shall never cease to interest myself in all that can crown your merit with glory, and shall ever feel the greatest pleasure in being your servant and good friend. Signed, Elizabeth. Every time I read that letter, I can imagine the teenager being extremely flattered by the attractive Thomas Seymour. However, she strongly understood that as the daughter of a king, a choice like that was not hers to make. Not long after her eloquent rejection of Seymour, Elizabeth discovered that Seymour had secretly married her stepmother, the Dowager Queen, Catherine Parr. Elizabeth also received a letter from her sister Mary regarding the clandestine marriage. We don't have Mary's letter, but here is part of Elizabeth's response to it. You are very right in saying in your most acceptable letters, which you have done me the honor of writing to me, that our interests being common, the just grief we feel in seeing the ashes, or rather the scarcely cold body of the king, our father, so shamefully dishonored by the queen, our stepmother, ought to be common to us also. I cannot express to you, my dear princess, how much affliction I've suffered when I was first informed of this marriage, and no other comfort can I find than that of the necessity of submitting ourselves to the decrees of heaven, since neither you nor I, dearest sister, are in such a condition as to offer any obstacle thereto, without running heavy risk of making our own lot much worse than it is. At least, so I think. I've always believed that Elizabeth enjoyed the attention that she got from Thomas Seymour. Seymour was considered very handsome and charming for his time, and it's understandable if Elizabeth had a crush on him. He was once described as... Fierce in courage, courtly in fashion, in personage stately, and in voice magnificent. How could you not like that? The first sign of Thomas's further interest in Elizabeth was a dramatic one. The story told by Cat Ashley was that Seymour entered Elizabeth's bedchamber early one morning as she lay in bed. He wished her good morrow before he made it appear as though he would climb into bed with her. Young Elizabeth was stunned by his actions, which caused her to blush. She shrank deeper into the bed so that he could not come at her. That visit would be the first of many that were reported by Cat Ashley during her interrogations. Ashley also stated that Elizabeth, who was not a morning person, would wake early so to be prepared for Seymour's intrusion. This did not deter him. He would again appear in the doorway, bare-legged and in his slippers, before bidding her good morrow and asking her how she did. It was noted that one time as Elizabeth turned to move away, Thomas reached out and smacked her on the back and then on her bottom. 
If this statement is indeed true, which if you know me, I'll be the first one to stand up for Seymour, this would have been very uncomfortable for Elizabeth. She adored her stepmother and would do nothing to offend her. It got to a point that Kat Ashley stated she informed Catherine Parr of her husband's actions. Parr didn't appear too concerned at the moment and, going forward, made sure to accompany her husband to her daughter's rooms. Catherine Parr understood the importance of protecting Elizabeth's reputation. She was, at the time, second in line to the throne. The most important thing for her was to be virtuous and to protect her virginity. The teenager's governess, Kat Ashley, had been neglecting her duties of protecting her young charge, leaving Elizabeth in her bedchamber alone, which, if discovered, could have been disastrous for her. One can barely blame Kat for wanting to spend the evening with her husband. They had only recently married. The unfortunate thing is that Kat was being irresponsible. In her position, it was her responsibility to protect Elizabeth's reputation, and she was failing miserably. In June 1548, a year and a half after the death of her father, Elizabeth was discovered in an unsavory position with Thomas Seymour at Chelsea. Catherine Parr caught the two in what has been described as an embrace. Many authors and historians have suspected that involved kissing. Understanding that something like this getting out would cause disaster for her stepdaughter's reputation, Catherine Parr sent Elizabeth away to stay with the Denny's at Chessent. The move was smart for a woman who was concerned about her husband's infidelity. Having the temptress out of the picture would surely bring Thomas's focus back on her. For the sake of appropriateness, Thomas Seymour accompanied Elizabeth part of the way to Chessunt. There it had been arranged that she would stay. Elizabeth and Thomas would never meet again, but this was far from the end of their story. Four months after Elizabeth was sent to Chessunt, Catherine Parr died. She was 36 years old. Thomas Seymour was once again available for marriage and set his sights on the teenager. Elizabeth's neglectful governess, Kat Ashley, had been pushing for her charge to marry the widower. However, Elizabeth understood that as a person in her position, she was not at liberty to marry without the council's permission. Thomas Seymour asked the council if he could have their permission to marry, quote, Madame Elizabeth, end quote. Their answer was a resounding no. Had the council allowed the marriage of the scheming Seymour, he would have been seen as a threat to the monarchy. This marriage could not happen. At the beginning of 1549, Thomas's luck ran out and he was arrested. He had been plotting a coup against his brother, the Lord Protector, and it was rumored that he had shot King Edward VI's dog when he was attempting to kidnap him. Not only that, but the plotting to marry the king's sister really was the nail in the coffin. There were 33 charges filed against him in all, and unfortunately for Thomas, he would not go free. Thomas Seymour, Baron Seymour of Sudley, and Lord High Admiral was executed in March 1549. Upon hearing of his death, Elizabeth said, This day died a man of much wit and very little judgment. We'll end this podcast with what has been described by Dr. Linda Porter as words written by Thomas Seymour while in the tower. She suspects that he had come to terms with the fact that he was going to die. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Until next time. Forgetting God to love a king hath been my rod or else nothing. In this frail life being a blast of care and strife till in be past.
Yet God did call me in my pride, lest I should fall and from his slide. For whom loves he and not correct, that they may be of his elect. The death haste thee, thou shalt me gain, immortality with him to reign. Who sent the king like years as noy, and governing his realm in joy. And after this, for a life such grace, and in his bliss, he may have place.